بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد Just a couple of quick housekeeping and quick announcements. There was a book that I had mentioned yesterday, The 17 Benefits of Tribulations. Uh, that book is on the sister side. If any sisters want to look through it, they're welcome to. Um, if there are any additional questions from the sister side, please do pass them up right now from before or through the session. Again, uh, we're only taking questions from the sisters. Um, there was one question that was asked yesterday that hasn't yet been answered. I'll, I'll quickly address it. And I don't have the exact question with me. But the question was uh, relating to the, uh, as, was as follows. What are some of the salient issues that Hakim al-Ummah, uh, rahmatullah resolved for the Ummah that was confounding and confusing the Muslims of the time? Would any of them be relevant to us today? So in the pre-reading, it talked about this. Um, and uh, the two things at the time in the Muslim Ummah, especially in that part of the Muslim world, that were the most problematic was, number one, the deviant aspects, uh, the, there, were, there were certain deviancies that had, that had come forth uh, relating to spirituality that was outside of the fold of Islam. For instance, this idea that a person could become close to Allah simply by in, involving themselves in certain gatherings but never maintaining the tenets of the sharia. Right? We know that's contrary to our belief. So that became pretty dominant in that part of the world. The other was the opposite, which was that there was... Uh, there was this push toward removing spirituality from the community. And although that had historically always been present and you know, was initially revived by Imam Ghazali, uh, who we talked about in the last uh, retreat, um, in, that, in this part of the world in particular, it, was, it wasn't that prominent. So he was known to really, he, he felt that there was a void in the spirituality of uh, the general community. And so he really worked on and pushing this forward in a way that was in line with the Quran and Sunnah. So many of the principles of tasawwuf and tariqah, they actually come from his writings and teachings. So in terms of the second part of the question, which is, is it relevant to us today? I mean, I think we could all say that the calamity for us today uh, is not a physical calamity, especially for Muslims living in, 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 in this part of the world. Uh, our calamity is not our wealth. Our calamity is not the things that we have or the things that we own or educational background. Our calamity is one of, uh, of spirituality. There's just a general lack of spirituality in the community. And um, this is something that, you know, we, we hope Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns around and we hope that, you know, gatherings like these sort of remind us of the, how, how spirituality is a core component of deen. And, and really, this is the way that deen spreads. Spreads meaning beyond uh, the Muslim community, but even within the Muslim community, it's far easier to encourage people toward Deen when you when you talk to them and encourage them toward becoming more spiritual than it is to harass them about why they're dressing a certain way or why they're performing certain sins and things like that. So it's just the best form of dawah. Okay, so let's continue. The last session, which was yesterday evening, uh, was pertaining to how we shouldn't equate our emotional states necessarily with whether or not we are being patient, right? And we give examples from the Qur'an about this. And I um, uh, actually we just want to... Uh, so, so this next section uh, is just going to be a summary of what we talked about yesterday, although it's a different portion of the text. So I just want to kind of provide a summary of what we talked about. Um, so it is as follows. So the section is... Um, Sadness over loss is not contrary to contentment in Allah's decree. Hakim al-Ummah said, The reality of being content with Allah's decree is to not object to His decree. 
Let me say it again. The reality of being content with Allah's decree, which means which means I am content with whatever the decree of Allah is, it is to not object to his decree, meaning it's to not say something like uh, why, uh, that uh, why did Allah have, make this happen to me? Or Allah should not have done it in this way. That, that's probably a better example. Allah shouldn't have done this to me. I'm such a good person. Why did he do this to me? And why are there all these other people who don't even believe in God who are living in the laps of luxury, earning good jobs and making a lot of money and enjoying the fruits of this life. And of all those people, and of all the people in the world, Allah had to choose me. That's called being that's called not being content with Allah's decree. So uh, the reality of being content with Allah's decree is to not object to his decree. However, to become sad over worldly loss is part of human nature. We are not blamed or held accountable for the sadness and pain we may feel because of worldly loss. Instead, what we are held accountable for is complaining or objecting against his decree. Right? So the way I respond to it internally, that's fine. It really, it could be really any extreme. It could be sadness. It could be anxiety. It could be fear. It could be worry. It could be, you know, really whatever, whatever you need to experience. And we welcome those experiences. We don't try to push them away. But what I don't do is I don't begin to question what the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I accept it as his decree. So the commentary, being in Allah's decree is necessary for every believer in uh, every situation, right? Whether it be good or bad, we accept Allah's decree. If he gave me something that is apparently good, for instance, I now have uh, a salary in which I'm able to treat, uh, take care of my family. Alhamdulillah, I'm content with Allah's decree. And if I'm not given a salary that's comfortable for my family, then I'm still content with Allah's decree. Um, Hakim al-Ummah here is explaining that if a person feels sad over some loss that he has suffered, this does not go against being pleased with Allah's decree. Being pleased with Allah's decree simply means accepting it, submitting to it, and submitting to it, and not objecting against it. The natural feeling of sadness and uh, does not go against this. So this is kind of a summary of what we talked about yesterday, although it's a different portion of the text. It's acceptable to feel a certain way. Uh, and even in the lives of other people, you know, someone had asked yesterday about younger people, and this morning we discussed it amongst the brothers. It's also acceptable, I mean, you know, to, to let our, uh, the, the people that we're working with, our children, whoever we're responsible for, to let them realize that, look, it's totally acceptable and it's in a way healthy to feel certain emotions as a response to whatever Allah has decreed. But the, our focus shouldn't be on why are you feeling this way? What's wrong with you? Why are you sad? You should be happy, yada. It's just to say, look, this is how Allah has written it. However you want to respond to it is up to you, right? There's room, there's room for that. But what we can't question is that why did Allah make this happen? That we shouldn't, we shouldn't be questioning. Or Allah shouldn't have made this happen. And that's what we should, we should make sure that our, uh, that our children also don't do this. Okay, so let's move on to the next uh, section, which I'm actually going to go backward in the text. Uh, okay. Belief in predestination. Hakim al-Ummah said, True faith in predestination is what removes worries. You should consider these calamities to be either a punishment for your sins or a test of faith. This is what we've already covered all along. But beware, never consider calamities to be a manifestation of Allah's displeasure. Never consider calamities to be a manifestation of Allah's displeasure. This kind of thinking is dangerous and it weakens one's relationship with Allah, eventually leading to complete disconnection from Him. Right? So this applies to ourselves in that we shouldn't be thinking that Allah hates me. We shouldn't be thinking that Allah Ta'ala wants you know, me to suffer. 
Rather, we should have a positive opinion of Allah. Even if this is a punishment or a response to something wrong that I did, it's out of his love. But if I begin to think and I have the attitude or I instill in my children this attitude that we have a God who's continuously trying to get us back for the wrong that we've done and all the haram that we've performed and all the sins that we do, it's not helpful. And in fact, he's mentioning here, this, it's not that this is even just neutral. This kind of thinking is dangerous and it weakens one's relationship with Allah. Meaning if we want to develop a close relationship with Allah, we have to have a positive opinion of Allah. And the hadith of the Prophet which I may have mentioned, when he says that, uh, when he says that it's hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I am as my servant thinks of me. I am in the opinion of my servant. So if I'm of the opinion that Allah Ta'ala is punishing me and he's always wanting this and this for me all the time and he's displeased with me, well then that's what the outcome is going to be. But if I'm of the opinion that whatever Allah gives me is for my own betterment and he's doing this out of true love for me, then really that's what it is. It is indeed love. Um, so he says, uh, so, so we should be very mindful of this and be careful what we teach you know, others as well. It's very common for us to say, look, this happened because Allah is punishing you. If you finally change your ways, maybe Allah will stop punishing you. I mean, who died and made you the receiver of wahi? We don't know why people are going through difficulties. We're not here to judge. All we're here to do is maybe remind them that, look, this is from Allah. And it's just a reminder to turn back to Allah. Ultimately, that's all it is. Um, okay. A, a very important point is, made, is being made here. Calamities from Allah Ta'ala should not be thought of as a sign of Allah's displeasure with one. It's like a father who reprimands his child to correct a mistake. If the mistake is left uncorrected, the child may develop a bad habit and will harm himself in the long run. The father's reprimand is certainly not out of hatred, rather it is only out of love and concern for the child. If indeed, if indeed, if the child were to consider the discipline to be an act of punishment or hatred, this would be extremely detrimental for him. Rather, it is only out of love that the father disciplines his children. Similarly, the calamities we experience are often an act of mercy and love for us from Allah. You know, this is a very relevant example because how many times do we reprimand our children and then we, we, we tell them, look, I'm doing this because I love you. Or in our own mind, we're thinking, you know, I'm I, uh, like we know we love our children and we don't want to ever bring them any harm. If I could get it through to my child that I love you, I'm not disciplining you because I hate you. I'm disciplining you because I want what's best for you. Right? We we all understand this as a mother and as a father, but we have such a hard time communicating that to our children because we're just their enemies. But think about this now. I mean, imagine our children are having a hard time understanding that. Now we as servants of Allah Taala, we have a hard time internalizing this as well which is that Allah Ta'ala is doing things out of love for us, but we, we, we often question it. We often question why he's doing what he's doing. So um, we should be careful in how we... And okay, so it's, it's important for us to have a positive attitude about this. You know, um, the Quranic ayah where we had mentioned that kind of ties this all in. Allah Ta'ala says, uh, so far, we haven't covered the second part of the verse. The first part is, musibah comes down upon a person, one of the reasons, is because of wrongs that they did on their own. So a difficulty comes their way, right? What they did with their own hands. But the second part is, Allah Ta'ala then says, And He overlooks a lot. Or He forgives a lot. Meaning that, even when Allah Ta'ala is responding to a mistake that we made on our own, even if He is sending a difficulty as a response to this, it's very minuscule and very minimal in comparison to the crimes that we committed against Him. 
In fact, what he's done, he's saying, I'm forgiving the majority of what you should have gotten. I'm already overlooking that. Here's just a little sample or a taste. or This is something I'm doing so that I can turn you back toward me. If I was truly to give you the punishment you deserve for all of the neglect and heedlessness and the crimes that you committed against me, it would probably be much more. The, 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 the calamity should be far more severe. But he says, But I'm, I mean, Allah's mercy is so dominant that he's over, he overlooks all of this. He overlooks so much of it. And, you know, sometimes as parents, we're the opposite. Sometimes our punishments are more severe than the act and the crime that was, uh, was actually committed. And Allah Ta'ala is the complete opposite, right? Which is that the punishment or response is very minimal in, in comparison to the crime. He forgives abundantly. So the, the, the general idea here is that Allah Ta'ala, when He's doing things, He's doing, some, he's doing things out of our own benefit, which we've established now over the, the course of the weekend. But also appreciate... Uh, that he's forgiving far more than we actually deserve. And when it comes to, in general, working on other people, and including our children and our families, we have to remind people about how merciful Allah is. We have to remind people about this. We, you know, Dean, unfortunately, many a times, we ourselves maybe were raised in households where all we heard was about what was halal and what was haram, and we heard about what you can't do and what you can do, and Everyone's look, and, and then children grow up and they see how all their friends basically have all the freedoms in the world and God is loving and etc. etc. And they have no interest in Islam ultimately. But if we really promote, if we really highlighted this aspect, and this is not a thin air, if we really highlighted this aspect of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love uh, and we instilled love within the hearts of people, this would be very powerful. Okay. Um, so that's this section. So I'm going to just mention a couple of, uh, one other point um, that's an offshoot of this. And again, if the sisters have questions, please pass them up. Um, getting, so an additional point of, that comes up is, uh, and I kind of highlighted this already, but what is the sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, you know, loving me? Like what is the sign that, or what is the sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is keeping himself connected to me? It's not the dunya that we get. And I mentioned this earlier. This is not a manifestation of this. In fact, the Quran mentions, For those who disbelieve, the disbelievers don't even believe in Allah, who really don't have any right at that point, according to our own thinking. Allah Ta'ala says, I'm going to let them enjoy just for a little bit. I'm going to let them enjoy for a little bit. And then eventually they'll, be, they'll, they'll have to enter the fire of hell anyway. I mean, that's very, that's very powerful. Uh, so so it's not, we, we should be comfortable. We should want that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us good in this world. But recognize that that's not the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards people in this world. So that's a, often a point of confusion. Okay, I'm going to transition to this next topic briefly. We have about five or ten minutes. And that is, what should my response to calamity be? What should my response, let's say now I've learned all the academics and now real world has kicked in and some difficulty has now come my way. What is my responsibility? Okay. And there's just a few simple steps. And what's beautiful about this is that the response is always going to be universal. The response will be universal. The first, okay, so let's give an example. The, fir the first will, let's say for instance, I'm playing basketball. I sprained my ankle, right? May Allah protect us from this. But I sprained my ankle. And now I'm wondering, uh, and it's not because, you know, I was crossed over or anything. I genuinely sprained my ankle. 
um, now what do I do, right? Or let's give another example. You're driving in a car and uh, someone hits you from the side and you were on your way to, uh, I don't know, you were on your way on a vacation somewhere and now it's come to a halt. So the first point is we don't have to go and try to figure out what mistake is it that I made. I, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is not to go and identify, oh, it's because I did this or this happened. And most certainly, if someone else sprains their ankle, my job is not to say, hey, it's because the other day I heard you saying something to your mom. Look what happened. Right? I mean, sometimes we have this mentality. Oh, you know, you, you, know, you, you slip and fall and someone says, oh, that's because you, because you um, did X, Y, and Z things. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to see it as something from Allah. The first step is to look back into my life and see, is there something that I have not yet done tawbah for? Is there a sin that I committed in the past that I did not actually ask from, for Allah to forgive me from? First step. And the reason we do this is because if that burden of sin is still on our shoulders, then that can still have an effect on us, whether it's in this life or in the akhirah. So the first step is to do tawbah and turn, and I shall write this down. So the first step is going to be to do tawbah. The second step is to look through my current life and see, are there things in my life that I'm doing that I should potentially improve? For instance, is there a perpetual sin that I'm involved in? Is there something that I'm lacking in that's apparent to me that I need to address? Generally speaking, if I find it great and I should find something and I jump on that and I try to improve it. So the second thing is look through my current life and try to improve it. Then the third thing is going to be sabr. It's going to be to exhibit sabr and exhibit patience, recognizing this is the will of Allah. And by me being patient through this difficulty, then Allah Ta'ala will reward me abundantly and He will give me far more than I can have ever imagined. Right? And then the final thing is to do shukr. Shukr means to thank Allah Ta'ala for all of the other things that He's given. Okay, so these are the four steps that we take whenever any difficulty comes to us. There's additional things that we recite as soon as a calamity comes, which I'll go over later. But I'm just talking about thought process. So first, something happens to us that's a challenge or a, or a calamity. We immediately should recite, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, immediately, because recognizing that we are from Allah ultimately, and whatever Allah Ta'ala wants us to do, we're going to do it. And ultimately, we will return. Now, there's beauty in this statement as well, right? Why? Because when some difficulty comes... There's the first initial moment of sabr that we need to exhibit. Sometimes that uh, the first things that come out of our mouth is a cuss word. Sometimes it's something else that's inappropriate, right? If the first thing that comes out of our mouth is inna lillahi wa inna there's a very special there's a hadith that actually mentions the special maqam of people that respond to calamities in that first moment of sabr uh, with a house in paradise. So we should immediately respond. What's beauty about what's beautiful about this, let's say you're rear-ended in a car and something happens, my first thing should be inna lillahi wa inna rajiun. Right? Even before I even get out of the car. Right? Or if someone passes away, we know we're supposed to say inna lillahi wa inna rajiun. Or if I trip and fall, inna lillahi wa inna rajiun. Now what's beautiful about this is because what it does is not remember I was saying earlier, at least for the brothers, I think, that it, that actions can lead to um, to to thoughts. Right? And not the opposite. So what I'm doing is by verbalizing the statement, I'm reminding myself, inna lillahi, that look, ultimately, I am Allah's. I am Allah's property. I am in His control. I'm in His dominion. He has the right to do whatever He wants with me. 
Before anything, not before, before, why did this fool behind me rear end me? Why, who left this big pit in the middle of the volleyball, you know, whatever? Uh, who, um, you know, why, uh, why, is it, uh, why is it that my basement flooded? The first response is, ultimately, I am Allah's. He could take away my life right now if he wants to. He could do whatever he wants to me. I am Allah's. It's beautiful, right, the, the statement. We don't own anything. Allah owns everything. The second part of the statement is even more beautiful, which is that not only am I Allah's, but ultimately I'm going to return to Him. Meaning, no matter what difficulty I experience in this world and how traumatic it may seem, it may seem to me, ultimately I'm going to be returning to Allah anyway. It, it can only be temporary. The real calamity will be if I'm told to enter into the fire of hell. Then there's no turning back. There's no other option. That's the true calamity. So we're reminding me, number one, I'm Allah's. I don't have any rights to begin with. I'm a slave of Allah and I do exactly as I'm told. And I receive whatever Allah gives me. And number two, I have to return back to Allah anyway. So what, And this world is so temporary that whatever difficulty it is, it is short-lived. And I will experience happiness, true happiness, only in the hereafter. That's the only place where I can decide how I want things to be. Jannah is the place where I can do things on my time, in my space, without a single worry or concern. That when we're in Jannah, there's no fear, there's no sadness. I don't have to worry or have anxiety about the future, and I don't have to have huzn or sadness about the past in Jannah. That's the place and that's the dominion where we don't have to worry about this anymore. But Allah created this place as a place of tri trials and tribulations. It's on His time, it's on His watch, it's, things occur exactly when, how, and where He wants them to occur. In the Akhirah is when I can do whatever I want to do and I never have to worry about losing my child or getting in an accident or losing my job or my money or my wealth or my house or anything at that point. I don't even have to worry about losing Iman at that point. It's a place of complete perfection. So the first response, inna lillahi wa inna Then we deal with whatever we need to deal with, right? At that point, we respond. Sprained ankle, get it checked out. Car accident, get it checked out. Flood in the basement, get it checked out. Loser, you know, everyone has their own individual issues that they deal with. You hear some bad news, you know, you address those things. And then the, the, the real first response after that, I guess the second response, will then be to do tawbah. Now, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us difficulties because He wants us to turn back to Him. And had we not, had He not given us a challenge or a trial, we wouldn't have turned back to Him. I mean, how amazing is that? It's His desire to have me turn my attention back toward him and nothing else would have worked except if some difficulty came my way nothing else was working nothing else was working i mean the reminders the adhans the emails i got about you know coming to the masjid and the hajj announcement none of this stuff was working and once that trial came then i decided now it's time for me to turn back to allah Allah wants us to turn back to Him. So that first thing that we do is tawbah. It's a general tawbah where we ask Allah to forgive us for everything we ever did in the past. And once we do that tawbah, it's a done deal. Our past has been wiped out. 
Number two, or number three at this point, is we scan our current environment, identify any weaknesses that we have in our life. Are there areas, there are things that I need to improve? Are there sins that I've been perpetuating that I need to remove? Once I've scanned that and decided I can't find anything, or I can find something, and moving forward, I'm going to give sadaqah every single day. Because I know that I should be giving sadaqah every day. I've not been doing that. I'm moving forward. I'm going to be doing this. So that at the bare minimum, even if I can't figure out the calamity, even if I can't do X, Y, and Z, ultimately, what did I get from this calamity? I got, number one, tawbah. Number two, I started giving sadaqah every day. What better you know, response could there have been? And then the, the third thing, or I get, I'm losing track of numbers here. The next thing is to exhibit sabr and be patient and wait for that calamity to pass. And the fourth thing is to be grateful for all of the things that Allah Ta'ala has given us, even though we are not entitled to anything Allah has given it to us. We think we're entitled to our jobs, but what if Allah Ta'ala caused us to have a stroke and we lost all of our brain function and that can happen in an instant? And I've seen it many times. Many times have I seen young people, 30s, 35 years old, completely independent, completely independent and out of the blue in literally a matter of seconds, blood supply is cut off to the brain. They come into the hospital and that's it. Now we don't tell the families this up front oftentimes, but we know that this person's never going to be able to work again. I've seen it even in colleagues at work, high professionals earning a lot of money in just an instant. Just an instant, they lose all of their cognitive function and that's it. They can never get back to work. We think we're entitled to our homes. And, you know, how, how many times do we hear about homes catching fire? How many times do we hear about all of these bizarre things that happen? So we do shukr for all of the great things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So the final point, which ties into this, is, you know, I mentioned that sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, you know, he, he wants his servant to do, turn back to him. And tawbah literally means to turn back, meaning I've lived my... Tawbah means to remove sin. Sorry, tawbah, the purpose of tawbah is to eliminate the burden of sin. But tawbah literally means to turn back toward Allah Ta'ala. Tubu ilallahi tawbah Turn back toward Allah. Meaning turn my attention to Allah because I've turned my attention in so many directions now, and, and I've been ignoring Allah and heedless of Allah. A difficulty comes my way and Allah Ta'ala wants me to turn back to him. Now this is a subtle point, but I'm going to mention it. And that is that one of the ways by which we know we've responded to a calamity properly is by starting to add, so is by adding something uh, in our life that's positive. Meaning, for instance, if a calamity strikes me, and as a result, I question Allah, and as a result, I stop praying, that means that I failed that test. But if Allah sends me a calamity, and I... Uh, accept it as Allah's decree and as a consequence of that I start giving sadaqah every single day that means I've passed that test so that's almost a way to determine have I passed this test or not right it, it is a way to determine did I pass this test or not so I'm going to conclude here inshallah the summary of, of the discussion is that number one that sadness is um, over Allah's decree is acceptable and it's normal uh, but to uh, but to verbalize or to a question why Allah Ta'ala did something or should He have done something is against our aqidah and that's highly problematic. Uh, we talked about the importance of, of recognizing uh, that calamities are not to be taken as a measure of Allah's displeasure, but rather, and, and in fact, that, that, that mindset will actually weaken one's relationship with Allah, but rather it should be taken as a manifestation of Allah Ta'ala's concern. We mentioned that Allah Ta'ala forgives far more 
in, uh, as a response to what we've done that are wrong, rather than actually give us, uh, the, and the tribulation doesn't equate nearly to what we would have deserved. And finally, we, we, we just mentioned what the response to any calamity should be, irrespective of what it is, the response is always going to be the same. And it's highlighted by exhibiting sabr and letting things pass. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us the tawfiq to uh, appreciate all of the great things that he's given us. May Allah ta'ala grant us the ability to be patient during times of difficulty. May Allah ta'ala allow us to counsel and advise people accordingly for their benefit. If there are any questions, you can pass them up on the sister side. Yeah, so uh, the question is, does everything that ever comes to us have to be by the decree of Allah? Every single thing that comes to us, irrespective of what it is, only occurs by the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is established in the Qur'an in many places. Uh, Allah ta'ala says, the most obvious of which in the Qur'an, Allah ta'ala says, uh, مِن مُصِيبَةٍ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ That in, in this case, musibah in particular, doesn't come except by the permission of Allah. Um, this applies to every single thing. Okay, so the question is, uh, when making dua, is it, an is it an inappropriate dua to ask to be protected from trials and tribulations? So this question, I think, kind of came up yesterday. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that, uh, where, where uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, the two best things to make dua for, number one is, you guys know the, the, the hadith, number one is to ask for, or to make dua for, uh, number one is, number two is afiyah, number one is iman. Number one is Iman, number two is Afiyah. The two best things to make dua for. This is the hadith of the Prophet So, number one, we're always cons highly concerned with our own Iman and our state, and we should ask Allah Ta'ala to solidify our Iman and allow it to be strengthened. And number two, we should always ask for wellness and Afiyah. We should never ask for trial and tribulation. So, it's not inappropriate to ask this. In fact, it would be inappropriate to ask Allah to ask us to try us, because we're weak servants of His, and I don't remember if I mentioned this here to the brothers or to everyone. The reason we don't ask for trials and tribulations is because we don't know if we can necessarily handle them. There's a possibility that if Allah sends a difficulty my way and I don't respond appropriately, then I will go down the path toward kufr. I will go down the path toward major sin. And that would be a failure of a trial. So we don't want to ask for that. If Allah gives it, we'll obviously receive it because that's His plan and we'll, we'll welcome it and we'll respond accordingly. But we don't ask for it. By asking for it, we're almost testing Allah. Try me. See what you have. Let's see how I handle this. That's not the attitude of the believer. The attitude of the believer is, Oh Allah, just give me the corner of Jannah. I'll take whatever it takes. I can't pass anything. I'm a weak servant of yours. I'm, I don't remember you properly. I don't worship you properly. My attitude is one of, I'm just, just please, just, just, you know, take me and be happy with me. Because I just don't have the ability to do more. You're, 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 you're Allah and I'm nothing. That's the attitude. Not, not you know, like three-on-three -three basketball and trash-talking after Voyager and things like that. That's not the way we deal with Allah. 